Welcome to the Zen of Everything, a Zen take on life, love, laughter, and everything else. With Jundo Cohen, a real Zen master. That's me. And Kirk McElhern, that's me, a guy who knows a bit about Zen. It's autumn here in the UK, and we're in that season where things are regressing. The leaves are dying, uh, falling off trees. Uh, I assume it's autumn over where you are, too. Regressing, falling off trees. And then you're not going to do this Kirk. thing where you fall asleep. How are you today, Jindo? I'm terrible, Kirk. Oh, no. What happened? I'm supposed to come here as like the optimistic Buddhist, but I got to tell you, things are going all to hell. I thought there was this thing that Buddhist masters had about equanimity, that when things go bad, they just, they're just uh, bad, and you just sail through it. No, that's all bull. I know I've been talking that the last few weeks, but let's face it. Europe's breaking apart. You got that, that guy in the White House. And ask me, you know, I was just reading, you know what's going on in Liberia? No, I haven't seen that yet. The chiefs have accused President Wea of embezzling 20 million pounds of government funds. We could be at war with Iran tomorrow. Yeah. But Liberia, the uh, Crimea, India and Pakistan, the world, Kirk, yeah, is going crumbling. to hell. It's crumbling. Uh, we're recording this on Monday the 16th, and this is the day, two days after the whatever attack in Saudi Arabia that took out 50% of their oil production. You know, when you think about it, a couple of drones and you can totally destroy oil production of a major oil-producing company and destabilize the world. Let's face it, nobody will ever possibly get to hear this podcast because the world could be over by the morning. I thought we were going to do a more lighthearted episode today, Jim. I am, because everything okay. I'm saying is complete bullshit. People are so stupid about the state of the world. The world actually is not as bad as people think, and that's what we're going to talk about today. Okay, let's talk about that. It certainly well, looks bad from where I am here in the UK as we face constitutional crises, um, the possibility of... Jumping off a cliff edge like lemmings as uh, yeah. the UK leaves the European Union at the end of October. Yeah, I thought Washington was crazy. You guys over there, you're twice, you're just going batty. Yeah. But let's face it, okay, I'm not a cockeyed optimist. I'm not going to sit here and tell everybody that everything is like popcorn and cotton candy. But look, you got a situation in the UK where half the country wants to kill half the country. And you know what? They're not. They're not having a civil war. Nobody is grabbing their... their. What do you use there in England? We You don't have the guns, so you, what do you use? the um, Forks? Pitchforks, yes. Yeah. yes. They don't no use one, chopsticks. Yes. The country is basically stable. Even in the United States, where we have terrible incidents of, of extremists who occasionally grab their AK-47. By the way, guns should be banned. AK-47 or whatever, 
and shooting up innocent people. That's a tragedy. But the fact of the matter is, most of the people are living in peace. We don't like each other. Don't ask your Uncle Stanley about his views about, you know, what's going on in Washington. But basically, we get along. This is amazing. This is was never like this before in history. It's true that when you think about it, when you compare with the number of wars that there were in the past, um, we are living in a somewhat golden age. Stephen Pinker wrote a book called The Better Angels of Our Nature. It's like a 700-page book a few years ago. That's right. And statistically showing how much better things actually are. I think one of the problems is that with 24-hour news and social media, everything gets amplified so much. But if you look at things globally, things are much better. Absolutely. Not to speak violently, but you have hit it right on the nose. The fact of the matter is, if you were living 500 years ago or even 100 years ago, your chances of dying by an act of violence were much greater per capita, that's the important part, per capita, than they are today. Not to mention that your life expectancy was much longer so because you'd probably die from the flu. Uh, am I cheering people up yet? Well, I should be, because actually we're getting better as human beings, and we're getting wiser, smarter, more compassionate. We are living better. We, we may still disagree about things, but the fact of the matter is most of the world, most of the world is living in peace. Well, how do we manage to pull ourselves away from this overall negative vibe that we see in the media. You know, there's a saying in, in journalism, if it bleeds, it leads. Um, no one's going to put a big good news story on the cover of a newspaper or a magazine. They, occasionally they do, but more often it's the bad things that are happening. So how can we keep this into perspective? How can we relativize all of this when all the noise is coming at us about how many things are going wrong? Well, just don't read the newspaper or watch the news and just listen to me. I'll set you straight. Yeah. So that's a problem because you do have some people who don't watch the news and don't read newspapers, but that means that they're uninformed and that's not you good can't either. be a good citizen if you're like that. No, no. The, the, the fact of the matter is you are exactly correct. The 24-hour news cycle emphasizes the bad stuff. I often look at the example of airplanes every day. How many airplanes in the air? Hundreds of thousands land safely. People get home to their loved ones. People get with, where they're going. Once in a while, it's a tragedy. It, we should not ignore it. There's an air crash, and that gets all the coverage. So people think that airplanes are not safe because every once in a while, one drops from the sky, as terrible as it is. But it's true. I was from Miami, one of the worst cities for crime in the United States. You know, we used to drive down I-95, and we used to say we had three kinds of drivers. You had your bad drivers, you had your drivers who were bad on co cocaine, and your drivers who were bad on cocaine who were armed. That was the only <laughs> thing you'd meet on I-95. But the fact of the matter is, no, I never really saw acts of violence in Miami. You'd only see them on the news because... Per capita, that's the, that word again, that phrase, it, it's actually a safe place to live compared to most places in human history. Yeah, I grew up in New York City, and when I was a teenager in the 1970s, it was a crime-ridden city. But again, I never had any crimes committed against myself, 
And I didn't really see too much other than on the news. Well, in answer to your question, when we do watch the media these days, we have to be aware and educate ourselves. Don't believe it. Let me get closer. You told me not to get too close to the microphone, but I'm going to. Don't believe it. Watch the news, but realize that they're trying to feed you stories with blood and guts and scandal to keep you hooked to watch the ad in 15 minutes for Regain Hair Reducer or whatever it is. Something that you and I could both use. Yes, actually. Well, but you I'm, shaved I'm, your head, so monk, it really doesn't okay. matter if you have any. Yeah. Yeah. No. It would actually make it easier if you lost all your hair. It but. would be. It would. So when we look at this world, we have to change our attitude. People these days are stupid. We think we're living in the worst of times. And we're not living in the worst of times. We're not living in paradise, mind you. But we are living in a world that is good. And if we're smart and work a little harder, we can make it even better. I'm not sure of the exact number, but I think over the last 30 years, one billion or more people have been taken out of poverty in China alone. This is true. Now, I'm not going to say that uh, China doesn't have problems. They have problems with politics. They have problems with uh, air pollution is terrible over there. Uh, there's a lot of corruption. China has a lot to figure out. But compared to China during, for example, uh, the Qing dynasty or the Ming dynasty, let alone the Tang dynasty, China's doing pretty good. And you know, that's important to know about Buddhism too. Ask me why, Kurt. Why is that important to know about Buddhism, Jindo? Because Buddhism always thrived in hard times. Old India, during the Iron Age, one of the reasons the Buddha wanted to get out of this world, samsara, was, believe me, it was no picnic. I don't know what they did for picnics in old India, but whatever it is, India was no picnic. Same with China during the age of warlords. And literally people would go into the monastery and close the doors because the world outside was so hard. In ancient Japan, a samurai could come along and just put his sword right through you. Compared to that, we're not bad. Wasn't the samurai period when Dogen was alive? Absolutely. And he had samurais who were his patrons. And he died at age 52 of a stomach ache, which, who knows, he could have gone to a hospital today and uh, they would have sent him home with a bottle of pills and he would have been fine. We are doing better in many ways. I saw on the news the other day, um, I believe it's Kenya, where they're starting to use a malaria vaccine. And they said that this is the third country that's using this. And I hadn't heard about this before. But malaria has killed more people than any other illness in the world. And I think this is just wonderful that they've found a vaccine for this. I predict that if we're wise, assuming this is this is the catch, assuming we don't blow ourselves up in the meantime, <laughs> if we get through this little shall we call it a transition period, we will find ways to reverse global warming. We will find ways to restock the oceans. We will cure diseases now that seem impossible. My kid is eight years old. I heard a scientist recently say that she has a reasonable chance of living to 150 in good health. If we're smart and we can get through this little period, 
the world will continue, I think, to get better. So some people are going to say, yes, but the population explosion. But that's actually quite interesting because the fertility rate, even in third world countries, has plummeted in recent years. And I saw something a couple of weeks ago that population is going to peak around 2100 and then start going down. And there's even a possibility, you know, with these projections, they, they come up with a low end and a high end. But there's a possibility at the low end that the population could stabilize at around two to three billion. Currently, we're at, what, six and a half billion, something like that. So far, despite predictions, food supplies have kept up with population growth. Most of the problems, I'm not an expert, but most of the problems seems to be distribution issues. There's unequal distribution. And certainly, we have to get better at how this world is organized. Capitalism needs a few tweaks. Many of the problems we have now can be avoided if we're smart. But if we're dumb, well, there are going to be more wars. There's going to be more hungry people. Uh, we have to get smart in this world. There's no doubt. Well, what you said about capitalism is interesting because I've got some notes on a legal pad here for some questions today. And one of the questions, because we're in that week of the year, is should one buy a new iPhone? And here we're talking about capitalism, about resources, about people being exploited in some ways to create these devices. There was a story about the Chinese students who were forced to work overtime to assemble iPhones. Yeah. Now, I'm, I'm in a very different position from most people because my day job is writing about this stuff. So I have to buy a new iPhone. But I think more and more people today can consider that they don't need the latest phone, whether it's an iPhone or a Samsung or, or whatever it is. They don't need the latest phone. They don't have to always have the latest thing every year. And while this is extremely positive in terms of resources, this does cause problems for the economy, which has to adapt. These companies that are used to selling lots of new products every year, they have to adapt to a different frequency of sale. Well, uh, we've spoken about this before. One of the principal lessons of Zen is just enough. You receive what you need. You don't necessarily indulge in luxuries that you really don't need, especially if you get hooked on those luxuries. Now, our present system needs the companies to keep selling, keep selling new stuff, keep expanding markets, keep persuading us that we need the new stuff or we're just not cool. Well, this is the problem. You know, I live in uh, what's considered a declining economy, Japan. The population is going down. Markets are decreasing. But you know what? They're actually adapting to it by living smaller, living more simply. It's kind of a myth put forward to us by a lot of the big corporations that we need to keep expanding markets. We actually could do quite well just kind of freezing at a certain point, you know? Well, we could do quite well, but individual companies want to keep being profitable. I care um, about so, people, so not the individual I, companies. Of course, I'm just um, devil's advocate here. Um, individual companies are going to say that they need to keep expanding their markets to remain profitable. And, and one can understand that from the microcosm of a single company, even if it's a company as big as Apple. Um, J Japan is an interesting case, though, because you're an aging population. The level of natality has dropped. So your population is actually decreasing. It's not a country that welcomes foreigners very comfortably. Uh, so yet you are adapting. I say you because you're almost Japanese. You are adapting to this. Um, 
whereas many other countries would start panicking about it, I think. Well, we're being fed a bill of goods. Look at, the, for example, the monastery. A monastery is kind of a company. There are people residing there, making their living. They need to eat. They need to work. But it's kind of century after century doesn't necessarily need to expand. You don't need to have, if you have 20 buildings, you don't necessarily need 40 buildings. The monks continue at the same level of lifestyle quite comfortably, decade by decade, century by century. We could learn to do this as a society too. Now, some things we want to expand. I'd like to see more medical cures, you know, for some of those diseases, but I do not need an iPhone 27. You might if you don't buy a new one between now and then. Um, I want to mention a company that I find really interesting. Uh, I don't know if you've ever heard of the designer, the German designer Dieter Rams. He worked for Brown. Uh, he came up with all these wonderful products. Um, he's one of the big influences for Johnny Ive at Apple with the simplicity of design. Uh, I'll put a link in the show notes to his 10 principles of design, and, and one of his principles is that design had to be human-centered. He designed a shelving system. And it's relatively simple. You have these things, vertical things you put on the wall and you hook the shelves in. And I recently bought some of this for my office. It's the same that the company has been making for 60 years. So you could have bought this shelving system in 1960 and you could still be buying new shelves and put them on it. And it's very rare that you see a company as, as sustainable as that. Well, there are some things like a shelf that I think is basically a shelf, and yeah, I'm not against all advancing of technology or science. Don't get me wrong. I'm not a Luddite. I don't believe in destroying every new discovery and staying frozen. I'm just saying, uh, I'm going to just toss this out of the air. 70% of the things we buy that we think we need, like now I saw that there's not only Oreo cookies, but there's 15 different flavors of Oreo cookies. Last time I went back to the United States, I went in to buy toothpaste and I was frozen because I just wanted toothpaste and there were, must have been 150 different varieties of toothpaste there. I didn't know what to do. We do not need all this stuff. Too much choice gives us more anxiety about what to choose. Not only that, we don't need all that. Well, some let's say we need a dozen toothpaste because some people have sensitive gums and some sure. want whitening, whatever. But too much and, choice adds anxiety to us, except in certain areas. Even for a Buddhist monk, the Oreo is the perfect cookie. I'm not I, against Oreos. Well, I'll have to disagree. I think the double stuff Oreo is the perfect cookie. Okay, that was a worthwhile improvement. I'm not saying all improvements are a waste of time. But yes. do we need the double-stuffed mint chocolate? No, definitely not. No, no, probably not. Plus, look what it is doing to the American waistline. Well, the waistline around the world, um, not just America. Although, I don't think we have more than one kind of Oreo here in the UK. And, and that's something I do notice, that where you do have a large amount of choice in the US for specific products like that, um, not a lot of that gets exported around the world. There's maybe a couple. Frankly, it's different for, for ice cream because you want to have a dozen or 20 ice cream flavors. After um, Brexit, you guys are going to be back to eating thistles, I think. Well, Sorry you know, you fortunately, that. I live next to a farm and my landlord is the farmer. So we will have food. We just need to figure out where to put the barricades into the village and how we're going to have a rotation to make sure that we're all protected here. Yes, well, let's say that uh, Brexit is a temporary blip. I feel that eventually people will 
come back together. I hope so. You know, people say that uh, it's uh, not politically correct these days to believe in one world government. I have to tell you, I still, in my heart, hope that someday there is a, a world in which we can all just agree to disagree, share, live side by side, and there's enough for everybody. There's enough in this world for everybody to have an Oreo. Mm. Everyone can have a shelf, even maybe yeah. an iPhone 27. Yeah, yeah. Um, you know, it's funny because you were saying earlier that you think we're going to develop um, ways to mitigate climate change, etc., and one world government. And what I hear there is the same sort of influence of reading science fiction in the 1970s that I had. Is that where some of your worldview comes from? Well, not only that, you know, when Dogen or even the Buddha set up their Buddhist communities, they set them up as the utopias that they hoped the surrounding world could have been. Within the monastery, people lived in peace. Within the monastery, everybody had enough. Within the monastery, there was, uh, how to say, some kind of peaceful, rational government where everybody had rights. No one was abused, hopefully. You know, everyone had the best of what posed for health care in those days, even though it was probably leeches or whatever they were doing. Still, in the monastery was supposed to be a balanced, healthy way of life. And the Buddha and Dogen wished the whole world could have been like that. Well, there are Buddhist economists these days who think we might actually make the whole world like that, where everyone lives in peace, there's a rational system of government, and we all have enough. So the Buddhist monastery was something like a microcosm of what could be, is it fair to say? It was a dream. It was. It Yet was There a were lots of strict commune. rules. There were hundreds of rules that the Buddha, well, the Buddhists promulgated for the way people had to act, um, describing everything that they had to do in the way that they have to do it. That doesn't seem like a very free way of living, does it? You're exactly right. And I think that they were dealing with the human condition. The only way to deal in those days with people's greed and anger and lust was to basically ban all behavior that could give into that. But I think in the future, it's going to be different. Uh, you know, I'm writing that book I told you about, The Zen of the Future. I think we will be able to make small, I, I emphasize, small tweaks to our DNA to the human mind to make us slightly less violent, more generous, more peaceful and loving. Actually, I think people can be made better and we will live in this world in harmony. I'd like to teach the world to sing in per... I'm sorry, I'm still an old hippie. What do you want? Yeah, I know. But that see, the thing about that is we, we think about that commercial, for those who don't know, it's a Coca-Cola commercial from, what, the mid-70s. And we think about it as having a message, yet we were just manipulated into thinking that it was a valid message when it's really just a commercial for sugar water. Yeah, we were manipulated by the Coca-Cola company trying to tell us that uh, buy more Coca-Cola. Absolutely right. We get, we got to get uh, a little smarter in this world and uh, get past uh, all the things we buy just to be a little happy. This is true. This, of course, is a main message of Buddhism. You don't get happy by just buying stuff. I want to ask you a question. Okay. You were a deadhead, you told me. 
I was the Grateful Dead, my favorite band. And that was kind of a people there had a kind of utopian vision of we were all our fellow deadheads at the concert. And but uh, actually, was it uh, all peace and sunshine there at those dead concerts? What did you learn about human nature there? Well, and, and not just dead concerts, but so I grew up again in New York in the 1970s, and particularly the late 1970s, which was a great time for concerts and music. And there was a, a feeling of community that when you'd go to a concert, you would suddenly have a bunch of friends around you. They would share things with you. They would share what they were drinking. They would share these funny little cigarettes that they had. And people would talk before the concert and they would dance together. And of course, this was temporary because a concert was two or three hours. And after that, you'd be out onto the subway and going home. But there was a feeling of community. It's kind of the ideal of the 60s that I think lasted through the 70s a bit and then started crumbling in the 80s because um, late Grateful Dead concerts are notorious for problems like gate crashers and people selling stuff outside the concerts. And okay. Uh, it, okay. it was a negative atmosphere. But when you're in sharing an event like that with like-minded people, there is a sense of community that you develop. Okay. Well, let's leave our use behind. Enough talking about the past. Let's talk about today for a minute. I'd like to leave people with a message. Okay? Okay. What's your message? People are opening the... Computer, I used to say opening the newspaper. No one reads the newspaper anymore. Everyone's online. But you're reading about what did Trump do today? What's going on with, uh, you know, in the parliament or is there still a parliament? People are getting so upset, so angry. Here's the thing. See through it. Keep that basic equanimity that realizes this is just the human condition. Laugh about some of it. Cry about some of it. But in your heart, just realize that the world has always been so. Then get up, half laughing, half crying, half with half laughing, half crying, half with equanimity. Only a Zen guy can do 150% like that. <laughs> half laughing, half crying, equi half with equanimity. Get up and do what you can to fix this world. You might actually make something a little better. But we must laugh a little more about what's going on now. We must have some peace in our heart, not only feel anger. Anger does not solve it. That's my And when message. you say that people should do what they have to to fix the world, I think it's important to realize that not everyone has to be like Greta Thunberg, who's gone across the Atlantic and talking to people in the United Nations, that you can fix the world just a tiny little bit at a time where you live and with the people around you. There are, what, 8 billion of us right now? If we all do big things or small things, help our neighbor, help someone close to us, or help our town, or do something big, or win the Nobel Peace Prize, they're all scales, but if we're all pulling in the same direction, the boat will move in a good direction. But in order to do that, I, I, I talk about my friend who's a social worker in Africa, and he's been there for years. While other people are burning out, he keeps going. And I asked him how, and it's, he said, because I'm a Zen practitioner. I get up every day, I deal with very difficult situations, and I sit in peace. And then I cry, and I keep my sense of humor, and I keep going. That's what we need to do in this world. And sometimes he can make a big change, but mostly he can 
help one kid at a time. Sometimes that's all we can do. Okay, Roshi, where do we go from here? I don't know, but I hope it's a good world. If you enjoyed this podcast, please subscribe in iTunes or in your favorite podcast app. Please give us a rating. Tell your friends. You can check out past episodes at our website, zen-of-everything.com. And if you want Jundo to answer your questions, send us an email at podcast at zen-of-everything.com. Thanks for listening.